0: Was a young Ukrainian singer, composer by the name of Jacqueline, spelled JKLN. She lives in Germany right now, and there she was with her recent release, Welcome to Ukraine. Vitaevas Vsih Shanovni rádio na Radio Peredachu nash Holos Radio Krienskoho Korinya, Nakveli CHLY, Stodeni Simefem Umisti Nanaimo, Primikrofony Pavlina. Good den, and welcome to Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. I'm your host, Pavlina. Last Saturday marked the second unhappy anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. So today's program will reflect on the incredible bravery, endurance, and determination of the Ukrainian people. On today's show, you'll meet one of them in an interview with a man that I met in Ukraine 2015 through Ukraine War Amps, who has been working as a civilian paramedic at the front. So we can get some insight from him that um, we can't from military personnel who are not allowed to speak to media. And Nick will give us a really good picture of what life is like for ordinary people who just want to help out and do what they can with what they have. We'll also have news from Ukraine coming to us courtesy the Kiev Independent, Ukraine's largest and fastest-growing English-language news outlet. As well, a proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And up next, a brand-new release by talented Toronto singer, composer, and musician Nastasia Y. She performs unique renditions of Ukrainian folk songs and also her own compositions. Here is her latest... And I'll let her introduce it in her own words.
1: I want to take you to the Black Sea, to Crimea, a place where I spent a lot of my summers as a kid growing up in Ukraine. It's the home of the Crimean Tatar people, who are the indigenous people of Crimea. Unfortunately, it's also the place where the war in Ukraine began with the occupation of Crimea, which started exactly 10 years ago. This is a repetition of generational trauma of ethnic cleansing in the region because in 1944, Stalin forcibly deported nearly all Tatar people from their land, erasing schools, mosques, libraries, burning books, renaming streets, and settling on the land. Unfortunately, history repeats itself, and these things are happening throughout occupied regions all over Ukraine, now as we enter the third year of the full-scale war. In Crimea, the Tatar people face repressions for speaking out, quite literally, as the language is considered to be an endangered language. But there is one thing that music can do, which is give a voice to those who don't have one right now. So here's a bold reimagining of a traditional wedding song from Karim, created with my band in Toronto, where I live, sung in the Crimean Tatar language. (laughs)
0: In 2015, on a trip to Ukraine, I met a remarkable man named Nick Budoratsky. He was my guide and interpreter on a visit to a military hospital in Kiev, where a soldier wounded in the Donetsk airport siege was recovering. I learned of the soldier, Vadim Dolgoruk, and was connected with Nick through Jean Bedezovsky of Ukraine War Amps in Toronto. I had made a small donation through UWA towards Vadim's recovery and when I contacted Nick, he invited me to visit Vadim. I made a video of that visit. You can find it on the Nashholos YouTube channel. It was a little over a year after Russia's first invasion of Ukraine, and Nick was one of many Ukrainian citizens who became volunteers to fight the aggressors in any way they could. On that trip, Nick also introduced me to Tyra, a Ukrainian medic who testified before a U.S. Congress after her release from Russian captivity last year. I kept tabs on Nick through Ukraine War Amps on Facebook, but recently reached out to chat with him about his work since our meeting in Kiev almost nine years ago. The true-life stories he shared with me made my head spin, but were just part of life for him. His stories are as close a glimpse of the frontline reality as you can get without speaking to military personnel who generally are not permitted to speak with media. Nick joined me online from his home in Kiev. So, Nick, you have a regular civilian job, um, but you're not just still a volunteer uh, helping out the military anymore.
2: No, I was a volunteer the last time you saw me in person But now it's different. Somewhere around 2017, I started to be a military paramedic. Right. After which, uh, you know, you you heard about Tyra.
0: She got captured,
2: yeah. Yeah. She was the person that took me in the squad. And I was a driver at first. And eventually, I became a paramedic. So since 2017, I was not only a volunteer. I was a paramedic also.
0: And you said was. You're not anymore.
2: Well, I kind of still am. But after what happened in Irpin, I don't have a lot of health left. I was kind of um, canceled from the military, but I'm still teaching soldiers on the field.
0: What happened in Irpin?
2: I'm not sure if I can translate the medical terms okay, but it's a compression trauma in my lower back and I have a damaged
0: hip. How did that happen?
2: It happened 2016 in Avdeivka when I fell down from three meters high with my bulletproof that was 13 kilograms and all the instruments on it and stuff. So I fell down, damaged my back and my hip. And I wouldn't say that's a full-scale concussion, but The shockwave got me. So since then, I was not taking care of it really good. Uh Uh-oh. So when the full-scale invasion happened, I was responsible for evacuating injured people. I was the deputy of the head of the hospital that we created ourselves on the as-of-battalion basis. We had a lot of doctors. We had a lot of staff. So it was my turn to go to the Irping area to evacuate injured. And this is where, you know, a lot of heavy lifting, falling was done. And those injuries came back again.
0: Well, how did you fall in the first place with that, that heavy equipment on top of you?
2: I was putting some sensors on the heights. for mm-hmm. watching the perimeters, blah, blah, complicated stuff. It was experimental. And after soldiers said that they were listening what's going on, and they uh, heard that the mine was launched from the other side. They said, seek cover. Apparently, I was doing too fast. The ladder didn't hold me. It broke, and I fell. Oh. And if I were not wearing my helmet and bulletproof, I would be okay. It would be much better because I didn't have so much weight when I fell down, and I could get up quicker because, again, there's no weight on me, so I can uh, hide behind the wall and not get this shockwave. So this is my trauma, and I didn't manage it. I was not taking it too seriously, so this is how it got back to me again.
0: Oh, so it was a few years then of it just being misaligned and... Abused, I guess, because it wasn't properly taken care well,
2: of. I, I was kind of treating it, but didn't really took it that serious. I had places to go. I had my responsibilities, again, the, sure. the rotations as a paramedic and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, can, I really needed to find a job because uh, I'm not eating air. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I was working. I'm really lucky that I managed to find the remote work. So I can work, I could be a paramedic at the same time. No one was pushing me. So I was managing both responsibilities. But it
0: it caught up to you. Yeah. Um, you, so what is your civilian job?
2: I work for the German company. That's a really big international company. And I was working until a new year as a health desk agent um it help desk agent but right before the uh, new year there was a lot of layoffs and i was in the second wave of layoffs so instead of firing me another department of this company said well what are you doing guys you're just throwing away qualified people and we need three more people in our department where are understaffed, so given to us. Oh,
0: good. Doing so that.
2: it's basically not what I was wanting to do, but it's still a job, hmm. uh, it's a different area, I started to learn, so it will take me some time to adjust.
0: So basically it's
2: IT. Yeah, I'm still in IT. Uh-oh. And uh, something tells me that I'm gonna lose this job. Why? Um, the place where, where I serve as a non-civil, it's not actual anymore. That's... The work
0: that you're doing as a medic or training soldiers and stuff?
2: Yeah, training training soldiers, yes. So there is a possibility that I'm gonna be transferred and if I get transferred, I will not be half civil anymore. Oh. I will be a full-time military. Oh. In this case I'm gonna lose this job. But there's still some chances that I will be half civil. But if it happens, I'm not civil anymore. Oh but actually I don't have enough information at this moment myself, so I'm not sure what's it gonna be. but it's gonna be something that I can handle, I'm sure that I can.
0: So are you are you gone is the pain all gone, your your hip and, and back pain? Or is you still dealing with it?
2: Well, actually, it got better. I've got some injections. It got much better.
3: I avoid
2: a lot of, you know, lifting stuff, running, walking too much. Mm. It helps. It's much better now. Really better. But it was it was so painful. Uh, now it's better because uh, I'm not heavy lifting. You know, all I need when when I train soldiers, I don't need to lift something up too much, and my work is remote so I don't have to commute a lot. I'm mostly driving, so no walking. That's okay.
0: My heart breaks for you. <laughs> That's I could, okay. I wish I could do something. I wish I could be there with you, helping you. But you're ever the optimist. And about all I can do is uh, tell your tell your story. I made that video from our trip there, <laughs> from my trip to, to Ukraine when you took me to that hospital. And, and we met Vadim um, Dolgoruk, you still in touch with him?
2: You know the full story about him? No, I don't. Tell me. When I saw this guy first time, he asked for something. I cannot really recall what it is. This is, was the first time I met him in the hospital, and I was struggling to come into the room. I had no idea how to behave because, well, it was was before all my paramedic stuff, so I was only a beginner. And I didn't know how to behave. And one day he, he told me, uh, you don't have to concentrate on what happened to me. Because I know myself. And trust me, I will drive a car and I will get married and I will have children.
0: Oh, wow.
2: You know what? Two years after this conversation, he drives the car, he married and has kids. Wow. This person is so strong. Wow. So even if he has no limbs, not all of the limbs. I'm sorry. Not all of them. He's got one left,
0: right? He had he was three lost three limbs.
2: Yeah. Um, it doesn't affect him. The person is so strong. It's like it never happened to him. He drives a car, he's married and have kids and just as he said.
0: So 2 years oh. of rehab and he he is living a normal life again. Yes. That's amazing.
2: It
0: is yeah. a really strong person. Yeah. You started then in about 2014. We met in 2015, and you were a beginner, you said. And by 2017, you were training as a medic. What happened in those years between, from 15 and 17?
2: I uh, discovered that my projects that I was doing as a volunteer, they are kind of good, but I wasn't sure how efficient they were. So eventually I decided to go at the front line to see the efficiency with my own eyes. And I discovered that it was not, not good. It was helpful, but it was not enough. So I concentrated on something that uh, the soldiers need the most, something specific, something that I am capable to do. And closer to September 2016, after I got a little better with my traumas, I found a guy that was trying to do a special optical system, electronic optical system. And in the first glance, I was not sure if it's even needed, but one of the commanders asked me to buy one, and I bought one. So what is it? It's a camera with a control unit that no devices can um, find it. Oh, And it was really useful to look for snipers. It was really useful to correct in the artillery. Fantastic. Up to two and a half thousand meters. Thanks God Canada uses net system. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have to convert it. And it was working up to four kilometers for watching what's going on. So it was keeping you safe because it was working on a distance. So, uh, if something hit the camera, you're far away from it. Right. It's ultra-portable, and actually, I am the one who is responsible that those cameras are vanished from United States uh, youth market. I bought all of them that was selling in the U.S. Oh my I goodness. bought all of them. Oh, my goodness. That was Catherine, Nicole, and, you know, those ladies supported me
0: with those cameras a lot. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yes, Catherine Olga Cook has been a huge supporter of the Ukraine War Amps Adopt a Soldier and Visit a Soldier programs and definitely of your work and of Nash as well. She provided us with a few stories of some great defenders of Ukraine that Ukraine War Amps supported. So you got this optical device that you had modified and dispatched, I guess, amongst uh, soldiers, where where were they being used and accomplishing what?
2: Absolutely everything they can imagine doing with it. It's ultra portable. It's only two cases: one case with the display and the control panel; second case is the batteries. Some of them are used for artillery. Some of them are used for looking for snipers and stuff. Okay, it is. It is ultra portable, it's autonomous, it can work up to 10 hours when it's uh, warm weather, up to 5-6 hours when it's cold. So you can use it absolutely anywhere you want. And if something bad happens, all you need to do is just grab the camera and run. You can leave the batteries, you can leave the control panel. All you need it to do is just take the camera away. So. If something goes wrong, it will not work against you. So we were training soldiers how to use it and how to act if it's gone too bad. All we need to do is just take the camera and run if something goes wrong. Okay, so let's imagine a situation when uh, you're in a trench and you're trying to observe what's going on and you need to rise above the trench with the binoculars and will get you. Um, right. There is a periscope that you can use to look what ha- what's happening. But all of the snipers know that this periscope is like 20 centimeters long. So all the is have to do is just send the bullet 20 centimeters lower, and it will get you. This device was working, it depends on the charge of battery, but it could work up to 70 meters. So the snipers will not know where you are. Oh, awesome. And the camera itself was really small and compact, and it was really complicated to see. You could hide it. You can cover it with something. And you can move any directions, up, down, uh, sideways, so you can control it. Wow. So
0: why did did it stop? What happened in 21 that that changed?
2: Well, uh, I didn't have enough money. Uh, it's embarrassing to say, but I was really tired.
0: That's not embarrassing. embarrassing. You're human. I was, You're
2: human. Yeah, I, mean, I know. I thought that I made of steel, but no, I made of meat. So, yeah, mm. I got tired. Sure. I got tired psychologically because in 2019, uh, we broke up uh, with my partner. So I was exhausted. exhausted physically. I was kind of depressed.
1: Sure. I had
2: no money to buy those cameras, uh, control panels, displays, batteries, and there was not too much demand for these devices anymore. We provided some alternative. Those alternatives was a little cheaper, not that universal, but cheaper, and guys still use them. So the last system I took to the front was in early 2021. There was no information about what's going to happen. The first thing, information started to came in uh, fall, winter of 2021 about the Russians attempting to make a full scale invasion. And the last time I was with the, those squads that I supported the technical devices was February 10th. Of 2022, and there was a lot of information about what Russians are going to do. And I asked this guy, a super extremely cool military guy, the best I have ever met. And uh, I asked him, what do you think about all those Russians getting close to the front line? He said, whatever happens, you know, what can you do? You know that you are capable of and what? Didn't you solve the war before? Is there going to be something new to you? And at that moment, I realized that he knows that it's going to happen. So in 12 days, oh, not in 12, in 14 days, it did happen. I was in Kiev this time. I started the new job at this German company. So I was working in this German company. But on the weekends, I, I jumped in the car. Like Friday night, I jumped in the car. And went in Donbass region to to take the devices, different devices, not that I produced, because the last model was sent in 2021. I spent my weekends on the front line and was back home a couple of hours before my job started. And you had had back pain
0: and everything. Oh, man.
2: Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So this is how I spend my weekends. Um returning back in a couple of hours before my job starts and was working all week and then uh, I jump in the car again and <laughs> it's never-ending story.
0: And you're telling me you're not made of steel.
2: No, I'm not. Wow. I'm not.
0: Wow. That's amazing. So you said you were working part-time. You, on the weekends, you would go to Dunbas and do
2: deliveries. Uh, well, when the full-scale invasion uh, started, I was kind of prepared, but, you know, the Kind of. I got my military car. I've got my medical supplies, you know, for the stabilization rescue. And I joined a group of guys that I knew like for a lot of years. And we were thinking, what are we going to do? And absolutely by accident, we stopped at a checkpoint of Azov Squad. And one of those guys, Came out and said, "Who are you guys?" And uh, there was five of us in two cars. One of the cars had a lot of Molotov cocktails in them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was stinking so much you cannot breathe in this car. It was horrible.
0: What? What is? So, like, uh, what, what are the fumes? I don't. I mean, I don't know what's exactly in a Molotov cocktail. I know what it is, but is it a gasoline
2: it's or gasoline? It's oil engine oil, something else. I was not the one who was doing it. Mm-hmm. But when we were stopped at this checkpoint, we had two cars. As of guys said, who are you guys? We said, oh, we are paramedics. And we are trying to figure out where are we going to be useful? And the guy said, you are what? Paramedics? Um, we need you. So beginning from this moment, They took us in to their Azov squad. They gave five of us a room where we could do some procedures, after which we used the social network to ask if there's some doctors available. So in the first four days, we ran from five people to 36. Oh, wow. And after two weeks, we had 60 plus people. Wow. Yeah. And I was deputy of this hospital. Mm-hmm. They um, provided a part of the real hospital to us. So we had two floors that we were using as a hospital. So uh, at this point, we started to evacuate injured people from Kirping. And we had a lot of doctors, like beginning from the nose, throat, ears. But your nose, throat doctor. Yes up to surgeons. Oh, wow. We had almost all kinds of doctors. We had even American surgeons. Wow. He came from United States. We had another guy. Oh, my gosh. This one was made of steel. He was at Irping every single day with no brakes. He was carrying injured people all over the places. He was so strong. His name is Dwight. He's from uh, California. We had guys from Sweden, two paramedics from Sweden. Oh, my God. There was so much foreigners in the same place when it all happened. We couldn't even imagine that we will get so much guys from, from other countries wow. helping us. Yeah. yeah, it was fantastic. So we had a lot of doctors. We have administrative uh, the reception. We had... Uh, people that were cooking for all those 60-plus people. Oh, my God, it was a mechanism so efficient and so advanced and so cool. I could not believe that we did all of this like in only two weeks. And it was really hard to manage all of those personnel, all of those incomes, of uh, the medicine, the, the materials, or something, it was really hard managing all of it. So I kind of uh, was switching and going to get into uh, evacuate people because it was so much pressure that I was just like switching ship with other guys to manage all of this because it was too intense.
0: You were doing that full time.
2: Yeah. yeah, this is. I am so happy that my coworkers in Germany. They saw what's going on. They said, okay, we see what's going on. You can go, but we will fire you if you die. (laughs) (laughs) So the guys in Germany were waiting for me for almost four months. Really? Yes, until I get back and started to work again. They waited for me, asking how I am all the time. Oh my God, it was a dream team. I love them so much. They're such a cool guys. Unfortunately, there was layoffs. I'm not with them anymore, but they are such a fantastic people. I love them. So they waited for me. I was still using my weekends to train soldiers. Not every weekend, but still a lot of work. There's still two people like me that they can... Uh, when I'm out, they're doing my job. There's two guys that was also in this kind of activity. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm working in this for two years already. Yeah, <laughs> wow.
0: So what did your work as a medic involve?
2: I was managing uh, the deliveries and medical personnel when, I, when, when Russians were around the Kiev. I was also doing the evacuations. But after uh, they were kicked out, I stopped to manage this hospital because there was no need anymore. So I concentrated to teach soldiers to stop critical bleedings, um, heart lung reanimations, and other stuff that they will need in the field not to bleed to death, you know. So since then, I just teach soldiers uh, how to stabilize themselves, not to bleed. Sometimes I get soldiers with medical education. I was teaching them a uh, 3 tactic combat casualty care program, uh, but there was no much of them, so I was teaching basics.
0: Mm-hmm. And so now you're you've got a civilian job and you do paramedic stuff on the weekends. Yeah. So you're right now just waiting for your orders? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I'm waiting for the results. There's some communication going on higher up above. So I just sit and wait what is going to be next. Will I be half civil? Will I be civil? Will I be military? I have no idea. But there's a big, big chance that I'm not going to be half civil anymore because you know, a lot of people get enrolled today, so oh, there's no chance I'm going to stay civil. No way. Wow. I want to be a civil, but I, yeah. I, I do know that it's kind of really not possible at this
0: moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, How is Tyra?
2: She's doing a lot of work internationally presenting the situation that's going on in Ukraine, in different countries. She travels a lot. She was, okay, but I couldn't catch her because as soon as we agreed that I will visit her, she's off somewhere in different countries. Oh, boy. You know, testifying, Mm. uh, doing international work. So I cannot catch her. She's always busy. (laughs) But she's fine. She's fine. Yeah, that's good. She's fine.
0: Yeah. How long was she in captivity? How long did they hold her?
2: Somewhere around half a year, a little bit more than half a year.
0: How was she when she was released?
2: She was a really strong person, actually. Yeah. yeah. She, I cannot be sure how she feels now at this moment, but she's a strong person, trust me. Really strong person. So I'm not sure if there's any changes.
0: Well, hopefully she gave her captors a hard
2: time. Oh, yeah. She, she did. Trust me, she did she's quite a character and yeah if she wants to give some hard time to anyone oh trust me she will do it the best way possible (laughs) (laughs) she's strong she's really strong and um my cousin was in the captivity also he was exchanged in the middle of 2023 you cannot imagine how happy I was oh
0: my god your cousin
2: yeah yeah but he is here now. He's okay. Treated well. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of stable now.
0: Well, will you be able to keep in touch with me?
2: Sure. Yeah? No problem. Okay. And um, sometimes it, it's going to take me more because I need to drive 80 plus kilometers back home because I was on the field. We call it Polygon. Yeah, you mentioned that. Sure right?
0: Yeah, Polygon, you yeah. said, yeah.
2: Because English-speaking people does not know what it is. I don't. It's a field when uh, when soldiers train. So for some reason, we call it Polygon.
0: You're, so where are you? You're right in Kiev?
2: Left bank of Kiev. Right bank is high above. It's higher because it's a kind of mountain.
0: So we're talking the right bank, left bank, of, and the Dnipro is in the middle, Right.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh-huh. Nipo in the middle, so and I live on the left bank of Kiev.
0: Okay, the left bank then is towards the east or west? The
2: center, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a dangerous place. <laughs> but no, no the right bank was affected much more, much more, because the central part, the government part, is on the right bank. The place that we met, first time it was a right bank, the, the left bank is if you move towards the front line, yeah, it's a left bank. Uh, left bank is not really something special. Yeah, if we're talking about Eve, it's not something special that you can bomb a lot. There's really much more things to bomb on the right bank, so mm-hmm. the right bank gets more, more of the, oh, so much more. Mm. Yeah, there was. Some massive explosions in front of my home. <laughs> oh, can mm. you imagine waking up no. like this? <laughs> mm. I even I even got a that mm. window was asking to be changed for a lot of years, but I was like, ah, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Wham! Here you go. It shutter. So this is when I decided. Okay, I will change it now. <laughs> So and the, I did. And it's, the room is much warmer now because of that new window. Wow. <laughs> Nick, uh,
0: uh, Nick, yeah. So good to see you. Stay, stay well. Stay safe. I, I will. Know I know. I will. You'll stay strong. I know you are made of steel, though you think you're not. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you are a sweetheart. Thank uh, you. I hope hope to see you again soon. I was speaking with Nick Budaratsky in Kyiv, who works part-time at the front as a civilian paramedic at the moment. If you'd like to support Nick and other defenders of Ukraine, please consider making a donation to Ukraine War Amps. You can find them on social media and there'll be a link in the podcast show notes of this episode.
4: Ви слухаєте наш голос Радіоукраїнського коріння, который подається вам на хвилі CHLY 101.7 FM у місті на Найма.
0: You're listening to Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Up next is a song that was released two years ago at the outbreak of war by Bono, one of many famous artists releasing songs supporting Ukraine. Unfortunately, that didn't continue, but Bono recently called on the free world and the United States in particular to ramp up its support of Ukraine at a concert in Las Vegas. Here's his recording from 2022.
5: Taras Shevchenko's My Friendly Epistle To the dead, the living, and those yet unborn My countrymen and all who live in Ukraine and outside Ukraine If a man say I love God and hate his brother He's a liar One John four. Here we are now. Day dawns, then comes the twilight gray, the limit of the live long day. For weary people, sleep seems best, and all God's creatures go to rest. I only grieve like one accursed through all the hours, both last and first. Sad at the crossroads, day and night, with no one there to see my plight. No one can see me, no one knows me. All men are deaf, no ears disclose me. Men stand and trade their mutual chains and barter truth for filthy gains, committing shame against the Lord by harnessing for black reward. People in yokes and sowing evil and fields commissioned by the devil And what will sprout, you soon will see What kind of harvest there will be Come to your senses, ruthless ones O stupid children, folly sons And bring that peace-filled paradise Your own Ukraine before your eyes And let your heart in love sincere Embrace her mighty ruin here Break then your chains and love unite not seeking foreign lands, the sight of things not even found with God above, still less in lands that strangers' love, then in your own house you will see true justice, strength and liberty, then in your own house you will see true justice, strength and liberty.
0: And now the latest news from Ukraine, courtesy the Kiev Independent, Ukraine's largest and fastest-growing English-language news organization. Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine has damaged every seventh Ukrainian school and completely destroyed 400 educational institutions, said Ukraine's Deputy Education Minister Yevhen Kuzilevetsk. More than 3,500 other educational institutions have been damaged, with the cost to repair these buildings estimated to be almost $14 billion, according to Kudryavits. According to the UN, only one-third of Ukrainian children are able to attend schools in person. Roughly another third learn online, and another third learn in a hybrid approach due to the threat of attacks. Educational institutions in areas that are close to hostilities remain shut, as schools are often a target for Russian forces. Four people were killed in October 2023 when Russian forces attacked a school in Nikopol in Dnipropetrovsk Oblast. A Russian drone attack on a school in Romny in Sumy Oblast in August 2023 killed a school principal, deputy principal, secretary, and librarian who were in the building to prepare for the new school year. Law enforcement has opened an investigation into Russian troops executing seven Ukrainian soldiers who surrendered as prisoners of war in Donetsk Oblast, the Prosecutor General's Office reported on February 25th. A video showing Russian soldiers shooting seven Ukrainian POWs near the villages of Ivanivsk and Khromove, not far from Bakhmut, surfaced online on February 24th. Russian troops deliberately executed the wounded and unarmed Ukrainian soldiers, disregarding the norms of international humanitarian law, the Prosecutor General's office announced. Earlier, Ukraine's Ombudsman Dmytro Lubinets reported that they had already established the military unit of Russian troops, who were behind the execution. This incident must be documented as yet another violation of international humanitarian law by Russia, Lubinets said. The killing of a prisoner of war is a violation of the Geneva Conventions and constitutes a war crime. Since the start of Russia's full-scale war, law enforcement has identified several cases of Ukrainian prisoners being tortured or killed while in Russian custody. The Prosecutor General's Office said 19 criminal investigations are now underway regarding the execution of 45 Ukrainian prisoners of war. Last week, Ukraine's military said Russian troops killed two Ukrainian prisoners of war in Donetsk Oblast. Ukraine's 110th Brigade reported on February 19th that the Russian military promised to evacuate wounded Ukrainian soldiers in Avdivka, but instead shot and killed five of them. There are 28,000 Ukrainian citizens in Russian captivity, Ukraine's ombudsman, Dmitro Lubinets, told reporters at the Ukraine Year 2024 forum, where high-ranking Ukrainian officials met to discuss Ukraine's future on February 25th, The captives are spread across Russia and the occupied territories, according to Lubinets. Many are religious figures, journalists, NGO workers, and representatives from local governments. Ukraine has managed to return 3,135 citizens, including 147 civilians. Around 90% of Ukrainian prisoners of war are tortured every day, Lubinets said. Speaking about the return of stolen children, Lubinets said that he believes partner countries like Qatar are more effective than international organizations. Currently, 70 countries have joined Canada's International Coalition for the Return of Ukrainian Children, which was officially launched on February 2nd. The International Criminal Court issued an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin on March 17, 2023, over the deportation of Ukrainian children. The 123 member states of the ICC are required to arrest Putin if he steps foot on their territory. Regarding military prisoners, Lubinets explained that several organizations are focusing on the return of different units. However, he added that his task is to bring back all captured people rather than focusing on specific units. Ukrainians have directed attention towards the Azovstal soldiers in Mariupol that were captured in May 2022. While some have returned, many remain in captivity. Ukraine is committed to cleaning up corruption, Defense Minister Rustam Umarov said, speaking at the Ukraine Year 2024 Forum in Kiev. Corruption during war is worse for me than terrorism, There will be no negotiations with those who steal from our soldiers and our society, Umarov said. According to Umarov, the Defense Ministry uncovered violations worth tens of millions of Hrebnyas during its regular inspections of food supplies to military units in recent months. We continue to work with the Security Service of Ukraine, the Prosecutor General's Office, the State Bureau of Investigation, and the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine to identify corruption schemes in the defense forces. He added that the defense ministry is auditing its structural units and the military. Several corruption scandals have rocked Ukraine's defense ministry since the onset of Russia's full-scale war against Ukraine. Almost 70% of Ukrainians think that President Volodymyr Zelensky should remain in office for the duration of martial law, and elections should be postponed until it is lifted, according to a survey released on February 20th by the Kiev International Institute of Sociology. As Zelensky's five-year term will end in May 2024, there has been considerable debate about holding presidential elections. Under Ukraine's constitution, elections are prohibited while the country is under martial law. Zelensky first declared martial law and general mobilization on February 24, 2022, when Russia started its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. The measure has been repeatedly extended since then. Zelensky said in December 2023 that he was willing to proceed with the election as scheduled, but believed that most Ukrainians think such a vote would be dangerous and meaningless in wartime. Polling has consistently found that a majority of Ukrainians believe elections should only be held after the war is over. According to the poll, only 15% of respondents believe a presidential election should go forward. When asked if Zelensky should run for another term, if elections are held, 53% of respondents said yes, a 6% decrease since December 2023. Ukrainian officials have said that there are logistical and security challenges involved in holding free and fair elections during wartime. Millions of voters live abroad or in territories currently occupied by Russia. And that's the news from Ukraine for today. Coming to you courtesy the Kiev Independent, Ukraine's largest and fastest-growing English-language news organization. For more up-to-date news stories as they happen, visit their website, kievindependent.com, and make sure to follow them on social media. To allow this independent Ukrainian news team to continue delivering you news from on the ground in Ukraine, please consider becoming a member at KFIndependent.com. and that was army volunteers together with the city council in this town of Puriatin in the Poltava region and that song of course white luzi chervonakalena oh there is a red verbena in the meadow nahodyu vyslukhayte radio peredachu nasholos radio nasho hokorinya na radiostantsii chly sto denis fm umistiny namo And our proverb of the week translates as Don't pray for him who gave his life for your enemy. Certainly a very understandable sentiment for Ukrainians today. And with that, we've come to the end of another edition of Nosh Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. In between broadcasts, you can stay in touch with us via our Facebook page and Instagram, as well as on our YouTube channel. For transcripts, audio archives, and a link to our podcast, visit our website www.noshholos.com. And of course, you can find Noshholos Holos on your favorite podcast app. I'm Pavlina on behalf of all of us here at Nasholos and CHLY 101.7 FM. Thanks so much for listening. Ricci, Slavo Krieni. <laughs>